Well, welcome to the Weekend Sportscast, part of Marshall Pruitt's podcast offerings. Um, I'm Graham Goodwin, and sitting next to me is Stephen Kilby with MP on Indy 500 duty. We thought we'd take the reins, uh, hijack the show, and generally create a ruckus while MP's not really available. Before we get into the ruckus, before we get into the mischief making and answering a bumper postbag of your questions, we need, as always, to say thanks to, excuse me, Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers and to TorontoMotorsports.com, the faithful backers uh, for all of MP's podcasting exploits. Um, well, good evening, Stephen. We're here in uh, GGHQ, the bottom of uh, my garden, the It's Not a Shed, uh, shed. office. It isn't a shed. It's not. It's not a uh, shed. Uh, the it's headquarters. A shed. It's not a shed. Of the uh, headquarters of DailySportsGuard.com, of course, amongst uh, other things. And with thanks again to Daniel Summersgill, who's put together a, like I said, a bumper bundle of questions. Uh, lots to talk about uh, this week, as, as we're kind of pounding out copy. Uh, for a whole heck of bunch of stuff that's going to be coming readers' way for uh, the Le Mans 24 Hours, which is just too close to contemplate at the moment. Um, lots of things going on, lots of stories kicking around, not all of which have been our stories, but happy to give some perspective from our point of view on those stories that others have been putting through, um, and certainly no shortage of stuff to write about in the world of sports cars. First subject, though, this week is one that we've not written about, or certainly not written about recently, but uh, some of our French colleagues at uh, AutoEbdo have. So what's kicking off, and what do people want to know from us? Yes, we've had multiple people who ask questions about Hyundai rumours. So this Hyundai. is yeah, Hyundai, Hyundai. Um, this is Emerald Archer, Stephen Gate, um, Brandon Kratzer, Matthew Stewart-Vant. Give it a well. I'll give it a well. So yeah, so there was a report in Auto Ebdo, wasn't there, about the fact that Hyundai might be looking, Hyundai might be looking at going into GTP and hypercar in the coming years. It's something that's been kicking around for a while. There's been a lot of rumours over the years. Nothing's ever happened. Um, what do you make of of that story? Well, I think the key to it is, I mean, uh, and with thanks to our buddy Matt Fernandez, uh, the now Texas domiciled Frenchman. Um, He's the least Texan person in Texas, isn't he? Ye and indeed ha. Uh, over to you, uh, Matt Fernandez, who did uh, have a quick look at the original text of that story. Described it to me as as, as pretty speculative. Uh, what we're talking about is, I'm not saying nothing new. That would be unfair. But there's not a lot of new. It is speculative. There is no confirmation. It is talking about a uh, LMH-based program for 2025-26, but specifically targeting hydrogen. Now, that bit isn't new. That's something we have heard before um, uh, through sources close to Hyundai. And I wonder whether or not they're closer to a decision. If it's going to be 25-26 and it's, it's technology at that level, that decision is going to need to come pretty quickly. You know, it's not a tech that is that mature and would clearly need to be accommodated within the current regulations. That is around the kind of time frame that we expected um, something to be coming forward from an OEM. We know that the demonstration projects for hydrogen fuel cell are not at the level that they need to be uh, to be a viable race contender, which has always been the case uh, envisaged by the ACO for their new regulations. We've talked about the potential for Toyota to come forward possibly with something on hydrogen combustion and maybe a Garage 56 programme in the future. There's an announcement to come from Ligier. Yep, Ligier, there, uh, uh, with Bosch, with, Bosch right? yeah. uh, with a fuel cell GT car based on their pretty JS2R um, one-mate racer. So, look, is this an announcement they're definitely going to do it? No. Is this an announcement that they might do it? No. Is this speculation that they're... Uh, evaluation of the concept um, might come to fruition uh, in a position where we thought previously it might not. It could be. Are we expecting an announcement at Le Mans? The fact that it's out there now indicates there's a maybe, but I think it's a maybe. I don't get the impression that we're going to get 
a catalogue of major announcements at Le Mans. I know we've got a couple of questions to come later on that front, um, but there might be some hints about things to come. I don't think we're expecting either to see a parade of cars to come. There might be some mock-ups of new cars. We might get uh, a little bit of an update on some of those new cars. But it would be a pleasant surprise if we heard something from Hyundai. It would be a very pleasant surprise, but I'm expecting it um, not particularly. I think this is about looking back as well as looking forward. And there's plenty of new already on the grid, remember. There's a lot of admin, if you like, to get through for the ACO uh, in the second half of this year, including the future of the calendar for the for the WEC, including the future of GT3, about which we have written on Daily Sports Car fairly recently, and about the future of LMP2 as well. And I think that might be the first thing we see uh, before we get into questions about new factory programmes. So, Hyundai, um, am I expecting something? No. Uh, would it be a pleasant surprise if we did get something? Yeah, really pleasant surprise. Uh, is the basis of the story very much new? Not really with the time scale that's been talked about. They have been out there as being probably the next most likely uh, OEM to uh, give us their view on whether or not they'll commit or not. If they do, we'll be utterly delighted to welcome them. They're in the room for the technical working They've been in the room for the technical working groups for a long time. They've been in the room with the fuel cell working group, uh, one of a number of manufacturers. That appeared to have gone away. If what our friends at AutoEbdo are telling us that that's still alive, that's great news. Fantastic. So another piece of really interesting news that, that fell into our laps earlier this week yes. is concerning Acura. Acura. So that is that Wayne Taylor Racing are going to double up next year. They're going to run yep. two cars in GTP alongside their GTD program with yep. Acura. Great stuff. I mean, that's a really ambitious team, isn't it, with Andretti? And we've had plenty of, of write-ins about this, people asking about you know, what, what does it mean for Mike Shank? You know what does you know what does it say about the program? What does it say about their targets to go to Le Mans? Yep. Um, lots of stuff to cover. Uh, thanks to Ryan Terpstra, Lance Schneider, um, John Nottage. Thanks for writing in about this. There's plenty to say, Graham. What what, what do you think? Are you ex- excited as I am about about this? Look, a two car uh, two car effort from a quality team uh, with great resources behind them and with the ability to activate that uh, program has got to be a very good deal. Um, what it almost pointedly doesn't say is that this means three Acuras for uh, the GTP class. I hope it does. Mike Shank uh, has produced a very, very good programme in, in both GPI and in GTP days. There's obviously been the controversy about what happened um, at uh, the Rolex 24. That is clearly a bit of a hill to climb for Mike and his team into next year. Um I think this puts pressure on that that deal, without a shadow of a doubt. But is anybody ready yet to call it? The answer is no. Um, more interestingly is what does this do for the prospects of Honda? Because it would have to be Honda in the WEC. Zero doubt that uh, Andretti Autosport have got um, ambitions to bring this effort, Honda efforts, into the WEC. Because, number one, that's a good thing. Um, to have a world championship program alongside the other ambitious programs they've got. Uh, also, by the way, gives them an opportunity to show they can run one of those programs at a world championship level. They clearly have ambitions to go to Formula One as well. They have a capable facility uh, here in the UK. They've got a um, technical partnership, a partnership on a couple of programs with United Autosports, although at the moment it doesn't appear to be the case that the, uh, a tie in between Andretti and United is on the cards for any Honda effort. But I think what this does with them ramping up to two cars in GTP is it probably pushes that back. I think that what that means is the likelihood is of Honda coming in hypercar, and I think the Andretti prospect is by far the more most telling one for that, that probably pushes that back to 2025 at the earliest. So good news that we're going to see a two-car effort from at least one team. Uh, for the Acura side, Acura side, we wait and see whether or not that means three rather than two. And I have my own private opinion of that, but I'm going to keep it private for the moment. Uh, I think the absence of comment is always telling uh, rather than the presence of comment. 
but they've said the uh, the answer we got from Acura when we asked the question because we did was that they would make their um, announcements on other programs in due course later in the year. Uh, but I think it means that the Honda potential for a Honda hypercar program probably gets kicked a little further down the road. I don't think it was ever really on for 2024 uh, in any case. Uh, but I tend to think whatever happens, whether it's two, whether it's three, this is good news for IMSA. It's good news for IMSA. This is a heavyweight program coming forward. Should we move on to some questions about GTD and GT3? I think we could. Why not? Why not? So Daniel Summersgill. Never heard of him. No, me neither. He says, uh, with Ford expected in IMSA next year, will they be happy with the current state of GTD? Um, at Laguna, we saw many of the unpro cars in front of pro cars with commentators and drivers unable to explain why. Wave by errors causing confusion. It's not a good look having pro cars behind unpro cars. We have seen gtd cars beating gtd pro cars on a mm-hmm. regular basis this season haven't we and mm-hmm. do you think it's good for the optics what do you what do you think on, on that? Uh, do you think it matters at all i can't get terribly excited about it i'm aware that there are those that are terribly excited about it i think if you've got to the stage where people involved in pushing this product to the public whether or not that's journalists like us whether or not it's commentary teams are confused by the regulations then that's something that absolutely needs to be looked at i think we're just as likely to see complaints if there's a hard change in something to make that difference point being here is how can you do that well you could do that by imposing some kind of pit stop penalty you could do it by imposing a bop that's different but the reality is in the way in which uh, emerson manages their racing that's unlikely to make too big a difference because the field gets closed up so I'm not sure what it is that you could do other than completely emasculating the GTDs to make too heavy a difference. You're not going to get down the road of messing about with different tyre compounds, which you know pours a little bit of falseness on top of a little bit of falseness, if you like. I'm not that excited about it. Um, I can understand that other people are, and maybe what, needs to happen here is a combination of you know better information in terms of the way that these races should be run and maybe a little bit of thought about how it is you could divide that field there are various ways you could do it about the way in which you manage cautions for instance um uh, watching brief i think i'd say from my point of view i'm not that exercised about it 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 shows you the quality of pro drivers in GTD as opposed to GTD Pro and what those teams have been able to achieve in getting together lineups. Well, I mean, look, look at this way. I mean, what all that really is is a red rag to a bull for the pros in GTD, which is okay. You're the big, uh, the, the, you know, Mister, you know, big potatoes up front there in your um, in your uh, pro car with the different coloured numbers on it. Uh, I'd like that job. Uh, guess what's going to happen next? That's not a particularly difficult one to predict, is it? I no. mean, when it comes down to pro versus pro in the cars, and if the um, the AM drive time has been burned, guess what? It's going to be game on. And I just wonder whether or not that maybe needs a bit of a rethink in terms of how you manage that and how you communicate that. This is not, by the way, a criticism of anybody involved in this at any level. It's simply that when you've got a rule book that's come together, quite often real life will intervene to expose things that maybe you hadn't thought of. Maybe this is one of those. Probably is. And I'd be really interested uh, to see what the big brains can come up with to get a little bit more clarity, because I think that's what sometimes we're talking about here, uh, coming out of what what is pretty patently sometimes a slightly confused uh, situation in particular if you're dealt that if you give that hospital pass of having to explain that that is not an easy thing to do not unlike lmp2 pro-am and lmp2 mm. as we've got the lms and it was yeah. a pro-am car that took the win in the first round of the lms this this uh, i believe this they can keep doing it a racing team there Turkey, you go. don't they if, if you and here's the thing in a relatively short four-hour race burning some of that time with incidents and behind safety cars it's going to be a relatively simple thing to see when you've got the level of talent we've got in the pro drivers in lmp2 pro-am so it's not that that different uh and i'm not really feeling as if it's a problem no me neither so right turn lovers up next uh he says 
Is a minimum number of GT3 cars to be built still a regulatory thing? Yep. If yes, what are the consequences if you miss those numbers? I'm asking for a bow-tied friend. Uh, right, well, bow-tied, course, a reference to Corvette. The answer is there's a difference between racing them and building them. I think the answer from memory, was it 20 over two years from memory? Sounds about right. Yeah, um, I think that regulation still exists. Um, I'm not sure that's a regulation that is recognised, for instance, by IMSA. Um, we'd have to ask about whether or not friends at the ACO recognise the same uh, rule set as well. But I think that rule still does exist. But remember, the the major restriction on cars being released by um, by Corvette for 2024 is for 2024. Uh, after that, it can start to expand. Now, think about this for a minute. If you've got for the sake of arguing, and I think the way it's been explained is four cars being released for IMSA. That is two cars for the de facto factory back GTT Pro effort and two other cars, plus two cars for a WEC team. Well, that's six cars, but there will be spare cars. Uh, so you can probably guarantee there's going to be at least eight cars extant. You're not a million miles away from halfway before you've rolled that out to customer teams in year two. And it's by the end of year two that you need to get to that 20. So I don't think there's going to be as big a problem as maybe some people think there will be. Yeah, I, I believe there'll be plenty of people from the collection front who will take those cars privately as well. Uh, that, uh, no doubt there will be. I mean, that's uh, something I know you had a chat with the, the guys at Mercedes about the GT2 um, cars with AMG GT2 and it's not the same thing in terms of homologation but you know we were hearing there there's no shortage of people that want the cars either to be nice and shiny and they're nice and shiny uh, display garages or to go out and use themselves at uh, you know the kind of track days that don't normally welcome oiks like us uh, behind the locked circuit gates so there's no shortage of very rapid machinery that's out there and not racing whether or not it's out there I'm not saying gathering dust. I don't think they ever see dust. You wrote a story about this, didn't you? Not that long ago, probably three or four years ago. Wasn't it Lexus about asking about how many cars yep. they'd they'd delivered yep. and whether it met the regulations? Or, and it might have been Honda with the NSX as yep. well. Yeah, Honda definitely did. Mm. It was um, tight. And, and Nissan as well. Nissan definitely did. Uh, uh, Lexus, I'm not sure we ever got the answer from, mm. is the answer uh, on that front. But uh, Honda, I, I can tell you, because I, I recall being at uh, Jas in Milan when the the car under the dust sheet was, I think it was something like chassis 23-24 of the Evo cars, and that was the car that raced for uh, Magnus Racing. Oh. Uh, so, And they still had uh, a number of bodies in white on the shelf, uh, literally on a shelf, um, to be uh, converted into GT3 cars because the bodies came from the US where the cars were built because, of course, the car, I think, is now out of production. Um, but they have or had uh, bodies in stock that could be, uh, you know, built up and upgraded. So the answer there was, yeah, there's Lexus, uh, which is one of the reasons why I say that, that clearly the, the major programme that exists outside of Japan is in IMSA, and I'm not sure they look for the same numbers. Let's move on to uh, the topic of Audi. There's Ooh, been plenty of... Audi or Audi? You know, being a, a food connoisseur, <laughs> we could talk about Aldi, couldn't we? The weird history of the Aldi supermarket. <laughs> but for the purposes of this podcast, I think we'll talk about Aldi Sport. There's been plenty of chatter and rumours yep. in, in recent days and... Uh, well, specifically in the last week or so, about the future of the GT3 program, the customer racing program. GT4 and GT2, for that matter. And TCR. Yeah, and, yep, absolutely. All of it. So we've had write-ins from John Schultz and fellow Wawa, as, um, among others, asking what we think. So, one, can we shed any light on the situation? Because yep. there are rumours that they're going to pull the plug at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, how will the GT marketplace look? If they go, yeah, and are they really going to axe their customer racing program completely before going into Formula One? Um, right. So, I've tried and not succeeded to get uh, any kind of um, official comment out of Audi. Their official comment, not unlike the one we just described a little while ago, is that they will talk about their programs later in the year. There's clearly um, a pretty major 
discussion either still underway or has been completed. Don't think it looks particularly rosy, which for me is tragic, frankly, um, if that is the decision. Uh, I find it quite difficult to believe that any major uh, organisation at the moment would would pull a kind of cover over something that must be making money. Because the conversation so, that me and you had in the car, the yeah, other absolutely. Day. I mean, you know, we, I mean, Porsche famously um, fund a fair amount of their factory motorsport from the um, the funding line that is provided by selling hundreds of cup cars every year. It is a standalone part of the business. Um, first things first. I hope it's not true that they're going to stop. You know, we've just been watching qualifying at the Nurburgring. And the Audis are right up there. These are still very competitive cars. And oh, Blanc Pat, oh, Blanc Pat, World Challenge Europe at Brands yeah, I've Hatch. I've been away a while. Yeah, I've <laughs> <laughs> been away a while. The Brands Hatch round of World World Challenge Europe. It's like an Audi Cup race in, yeah. uh, in some shots on the yeah. TV down Pilgrim Strop. There's so many successful drivers and teams running them still. It's not like it's withered away. Is no, it? it's it's not. I and mean, you know, and uh, still talking to a couple of teams than I have. Their view, having spoken to their high-level contacts within Audi Sport customer racing, is that things are a little less bleak than perhaps it's being presented. Now, quite what that means is open to this point speculation. And frankly, we've been asked the question, we don't know the answer, therefore you're left to speculate because we've not got an official comment. So speculation is this, is pretty clearly there are major pressures. Major pressures at a board level tend to mean that the action is going to be taken of one sort or another. Is that going to be to the extent that happened with Bentley, another VAG company, remember, where they pulled the factory support but left in place customer support with M Sport. So you can still have a Bentley supported by M Sport, you can still race that car, but you know, we've seen, haven't we, how quickly the profile of that program fell off a cliff effectively in the immediate aftermath of the factory support, the, the factory drivers, etc., um, being pulled. So, you know, will it be to that extent or is it somewhere of a halfway house? There is a little bit of hashtag wait and see. Um, I've zero doubt that some of the heavy hitters that remain within the Audi Sport family are still hitting heavy. Um, I hope that's not true, because if we do lose the Audi name from international sports car and GT racing uh, after what has been, well, by the time it's finished, the quarter of a century of success, I think that's a major miss for that brand. I think that's a decision that they will live to regret. I understand that some of the product lines that are involved here particularly with R8, that those are likely to be going away in this rampant rush for electrification. I think that, by the way, is going to be seen to be a mistake in a half a decade's time or not. Do I think we're going to go back to, you know, 5.2 litre V10s in five years' time? No, I don't. But I think uh, that a rush for full EV is going to be seen to be, if not a blind alley, it's going to be a blind alley with a tiny little, you know, ginnel at the bottom bit that you can just wiggle, wiggle down and uh, get into a hybridised future. I, I don't think the future of what high-performance sports cars is going to be is entirely settled yet. And trying to write that history before it's happened, I think, is going to be something that some of these companies are going to regret. Should we move on to the Wackity Web app and streaming? So we've got a question from Sam Piper, who says, now that the ACO have reversed course on tyre warmers, is there any chance that we could see the same regarding the Wackity Web app um, and see them bring back the much better previous version? <laughs> Do you have any insight on this, Graham? Um, uh, here's the, here's the, the, the thing. I'm not a user of the app, never have been, because I'm always talking on it live, but no, you are. I have to instead. Yeah, so, so you tell me. Um... So, I, because you're, so for clarity here, for those that, that don't know, Stephen has been fairly recently come back to Delhi Sports Car after three years away. Um, COVID played its part in the commercial realities for um, for Delhi Sports Car, for Stephen's career. But he's come back uh, now uh, with us full time. 
and is basically playing catch-up fast this year on a whole range of things. Covers every race at the WEC from trackside, the same with the European Le Mans series, and one of the key ways of doing that, of course, is with the app. So you tell me, you're a user, what do you think? Uh, I Feel think, free to say. I, I think the new app is awful. I genuinely don't understand why it was released when it was released. I can understand the need to have a brand new flashy app for such a huge season for the 100th anniversary race at Le Mans yes you would want the best product you can have but they've not delivered that at all they've delivered an app that looks completely different functions very differently and crucially is more confusing and seems to have less functionality than the previous one we don't have a link to audio only which in your if you're in a press room where the internet keeps falling over means that you know a lot of the time we can't hear what you're saying yep um the general interface of trying to get in and out of video streaming is poor. It's you know it takes up half the screen with timing, whether you want it or not. You can't have full screen live timing. Getting in and out of videos and live timing often is a frustrating experience, and you end up rebooting the entire thing. It doesn't seem to have a very obvious place for things like timetables and broadcast schedules and information about the teams and news. It's just a mess. It looks like a beta version. It really does look like they've got halfway through designing it and thrown it at the web. But apart from the that, lack of ability to have full screen uh, timing, the uh, functionality being, you're saying a step back, the video um, being very data hungry, the lack of an audio only option, the lack of ability for you to navigate easily to things you want like timetables. Apart from all of that, what do you think? I think it's fantastic, aside from that. Um, in general, I would say... We talk a lot about optics, don't we? We do. Um, and we've had this a similar conversation, but about a very different topic in regards to tyre warmers. We have. This year, more than ever with the WC, is more about getting new eyes on the championship and showing them what it can do. Yep. And when it came to tyre warmers... A lot of the debate and the argument was, for somebody who doesn't know anything about sports cars and maybe watches Formula 1 or the odd other race, they look at drivers coming out of the pit lane on cold tyres, ending up in the wall, and they look stupid. And it makes the championship look amateurish. This makes the championship look amateurish. We're going to have 300,000 people plus at Le Mans for race week. Lots of them are going to want to be trackside listening to the audio, following it on their phones in a place that's really busy where they're struggling to get data. You can have hundreds of thousands maybe millions of people from a, from afar trying to follow it who don't have access to the tv channels maybe yep. um who want to follow it online who would rather stream than go to the likes of you know eurosport whoever it is covering it in their marketplace they're going to be paying for the privilege of this app and when they open the app they're going to find it's a mess they're going to okay. find it difficult to use and that is a massive shame i agree i agree my my answer by the way whenever i've been asked within the wc family about these matters is it's really simple if you're going to charge a premium and we do um you better make sure that what you're providing from the voices you're hearing from the information we're giving to you from the pictures you're seeing from the functionality you're getting, from the customer service behind that, if you're going to charge a premium, you need to make sure it's a premium product. I'm not a user. Stephen is. Making it very clear, it's not a premium product at this point. Work to do then for the FIWC. Definitely. definitely. Okay. So, yeah, let's move on to greener pastures and talk <laughs> about tyres. Um, Ethan oh, Killian says, does running the same tyre compound with and without tyre warmers require a different setup? Um, has all of the testing that's been completed without any tyre warmers been done in vain? Um, well, okay, no. Uh, you, you can always learn something. These We're dealing with very clever people. It's fair to say, by the way, and I don't think there's much more here, that by no means um, was the decision to go back to having tyre warmers, and if you're uh, playing catch-up, that was taken So for Le Mans only um, across all classes tie warmers have been reintroduced probably the very last point for some of those teams to make the determination about what they're going to do about logistics etc so that decision had to be made was made we move forward it is not universally popular amongst the teams forget the fan base for a minute the teams are, aren't that happy and some of the hypercar teams are not that happy they number of them see this as an issue for one possibly two teams and not themselves 
So they believe this is, uh, you know, a de facto shift in terms of, if not the balance of performance, then certainly the the way in which they can approach that race in competitive terms. That where they felt they had a competitive edge on other teams, uh, now they feel that that's been a downturn in that. And equally, uh, hearing as well that the LMP2 teams really didn't want it. We did see one car off at Spa. Phil Hansen had a bit of a whoopsie, but that one has been. Um, talk to me about as being just a, a, an error on a drying track, uh, maybe on the wrong tyres rather than just cold tyres there. Um, but any of that that I've just said there ringing anything other than completely true from your... Um, yeah. Is yeah. exactly right? Completely right. From the conversations I've had with drivers and people, members of teams, that it's not... You know, everyone thinks one way and there's no. nobody on the other side. There is a split in opinion. And I think everyone understands, going back to optics, that there is an argument to be made that for the product on track, for the excitement and for the safety, there is a, you know, there is a, a reason to go back to using tyre warmers at Le Mans. But I don't think everyone, you know, Bought feels... It. I, but it's done. I, I feel it's, like it, but it it's done. Yeah, you it's, know, it's done. And, you know, one thing we know about uh, motorsport paddocks is they're a re- resilient bunch. They'll bounce back. And I can tell you this, dear listeners, that Stephen and I, as we pound that paddock for the entire week and at scrutineering, this is unlikely to be mentioned again. Like balanced performance, it's unlikely anybody will say anything at all to us in any way derogatory about decisions have been made about the rules. They'll all come in feeling as if they've all got a fair chance, it's game on, and anybody can win. Yeah. It, or, or something different. Yeah, it's all about that bingo game we're going to play at Scrutiny where we're going to say, right, which driver is it going to be this year that tells us they're going to finish five laps down and wins the race by five laps? Completely correct. <laughs> Looking at you, Phil Keane. <laughs> Seth Morris. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so... Next up, Tyler Newitt says, I, I totally understand why the ACO wouldn't want to bring the field back to Glickenhaus, but last year they clearly were <laughs> able to. Was the ACO operating outside the BOP rulebook last year, or did they just change the rules for BOP this year? Either way, it doesn't seem like Glickenhaus knew what they were signing up for. I know that BOP has been talked about to death, and I don't dislike the new concept, but the notion that small manufacturers knew what they were signing up for rings hollow with the implication that this is... A new for this year con- concept. Uh, it uh, it's both simple and complicated. So um, I'll use the same kind of analogy that I've used before on the weekend sports car. So apologies if you heard this once or twice before. the The difference with the new rules can be explained simply thus: LMP one to hypercar. LMP one was a car defined by effectively a geometric box. Hypercar isn't defined like that at all. It's defined by a a number of fixed values, which you must produce a car to sit within that window. That's to do with lift and drag, it's to do with power, uh, etc. And how you then deal with getting to those numbers is up to you. That's why we've got cars that look dramatically different and sound dramatically different. And I think most of us agree that's a really good thing. What you've then got is a package that has a notional maximum level of performance, okay? Now, like the human body, myself, you know, as anybody that's met me, you'll know my body's a temple. I mean, athletic is a word that is often used to describe other people. Um, And you aspire to operating physically or mentally at 100%. We'll never, any of us, get there, okay? We aspire to getting there. It's the same for a race car. What you're getting with that package, here are the numbers, here is the package, here's theoretically what you've got in terms of a performance package. Now the job is to put the resources in place, the engineering resources, the driving resources, the strategic resources of getting as close to that 100% as you possibly can. And the reality is that's where the money game comes in. There is a restriction on testing. Um... It's more generous, of course, than the newer cars. The Glickenhaus is not a new car anymore. So some of the teams coming in have had uh, the opportunity to do what they can with the resources they've got. And guess what? Porsche and Cadillac and Ferrari and soon to come BMW and Lamborghini and Alpine have got more resource than Jim Glickenhaus has got. And if you speak to Jim now, and I do, uh, what he's offering opinion about right now where he's saying that the the playing field isn't level, 
is not about balance of performance. It's about their ability to test and the, the money uh, available to test. And that's what he's saying he's not got. So effectively what you're getting from the Glickenhaus, and for that matter from the Van Wall, um, is that they've not got the cubic yardage of euro dollar sterling to go and get as close as they possibly can to the maximum potential performance for the package that's the reality it's not about bop it's you know there might be in the fringes of that things like platform bop but that isn't going to help uh glickenhaus and uh the van wall because they are already built to lmh regulations that there is a complex set of criteria that are being looked at generally speaking generally speaking people appear to be reasonably happy that things are, are, are proceeding in a kind of relatively linear way yes we hear a few um, moans and groans about platform bop that one will play out in due course but um as for you've asked about german glickenhaus that's what it's about it's about their inability financially unwillingness financially to go and test to squeeze what they can out of the package they've got. What does that mean? He's certainly not making um, a number, uh, any any amount of positive noises about staying. I hope he does because I think the thing is, you know, a fantastic looking race car. And I love the spirits, but it's difficult to know what else you can do other than to effectively offer against the rule book an unfair advantage to the people spending less, and that is going to be counterintuitive in particular, not to the factory teams, but to the incoming privateers. That's the thing you've got to remember coming along here, you know, on the rails. We've got Jota already in uh, WC. Uh, We've got JDC Miller having made their debut at Laguna Seca in GTP. We've got Proton coming along at Monza. Um, That's what you need to be thinking about is, yes, I get it. It's, if you like, not a good optic. We said that that word a lot uh, in, this, in this show. But that's what you need to start thinking about now, is we are not measuring Jim Glickenhouse against Roger Penske. You're measuring Jim Glickenhouse against Sam Hignett and against Christian Reed. Is it fair in that regard if you give Jim Glickenhouse a leg up? And my answer to that is, no, sir, it is not. Completely agree. Let's move on to a question from Addicted to Racing, who, uh, in the spirit of what you've just said about Jota and, and Proton and JDC Miller, he's asking about the Porsche 963. He says, if if anyone, if I remember correctly, Porsche would be able to deliver an extra four customer Correct. cars next year. That's what they told us. Which teams will be in contention for one of them? Well, I, I'll tell you exactly what I expect. Okay, mm-hmm. I expect if things proceed in the way they should, that we should see a second Jota car. Um, and I expect that uh, Proton, if things proceed as they should, uh, should double up in both programs. So I expect that we'll see um, Proton with four, two in IMSA and two in uh, WEC. There may be some way in which some of those may be subleased out. Who knows yet? Um, it's, a, it's clearly a period of rapid growth for Proton competition. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I believe that Proton have, have effectively paid for four. And I know the aspiration is that Jota would like to double up. We've got an interview coming on Delhi Sports Car um, from the, the guys behind the commercial side of that programme and really interesting stuff there on the commercial case for privateers in hypercar. That leaves one of the team. And in terms of who might, that team might be, I can tell you there's an awful lot of people at the moment sniffing around about hypercar. And the biggest question is about availability of cars, which car and how much are those cars going to cost to run? And they are really quite dynamic questions at the moment. So looks to me as if we're likely to see another new addition and that that new addition most likely will be an IMSA team. Mm, tease. That's a tease there. I like that. No, not, not really. It's just simply that. We know that Jota would like two cars in WEC. They would like to run one of those two cars, and it would be one of those two, not a third, by the way in a limited IMSA programme, if they can get the finances together for that, we know that Proton would like to double up. If it's four cars, and it's two in each, that's both WC cars already accounted for, and one GTP car for IMSA. So potentially, there is the potential for, in 2024, an additional car for the 
uh, IMSA GTP paddock. In addition to which, as we said already on uh, DSC, the prospect of a third BMW in WEC still very much on the table, and the prospect of Cadillac potentially stepping up to a two-car factory effort in WEC alongside their efforts with the two teams in um, in GTP. So all of a sudden, not in you know we're not talking tens of cars coming, but we could, we're talking ten across the board, and that does make life quite interesting in terms of the the figures for both championships and also the figures crucially for Le Mans. Moving on to a question from Ian Keenworth, and I can answer this one. Go on. Thinking, oh, oh, blimey. I can answer this one. Look at you. you look at me. Look at look you, at you me, big boots. Yes. Oh, look, here I am, Ivory Tower. Uh, <laughs> hi, Graham and Stephen. Can't wait to see the new Hertz Jota 963 in action at Le Mans. Are there any plans for team merchandise? It's iconic gold colours I'm sure make for some great team merchandise but there's nothing on their website so far have you got any insights? I actually do have some insight on this and it's it's a bizarre story, I have some insight on this accidentally because when I was going to the Jota Media Breakfast yes. I was in trying to get into the hospitality unit to join yeah, As everybody. I remember you battered down the door looking for a free um, pan of chocolate. I actually didn't eat anything didn't eat anything. That didn't I? I took a cup of coffee, and that was me. Tell you what, he's so clean. Yeah, slimmer of the year over here. Yeah, here God, he, he comes. Is a here he comes. Um, so yeah, but the reason I couldn't get into the hospitality uh, unit as quickly as I'd like is because I was caught behind somebody effectively begging for merchandise in a kind of tragic way. Um, so what, this was person it, was, was it me. It was. It wasn't <laughs> Graham. It was. It was somebody who was. The problem with it was is they weren't just saying. Have you guys got any merchandise? So I'd like to buy some. It was, can I have some merchandise, please? Can you give me something yeah. for and free? And then when, when the answer was no, it was, can I have a cup of coffee then? No. <laughs> no, you can't. So um, I, feel, but, I feel it necessary to ask, was this a British person? No, it wasn't. Oh, fair enough. It wasn't. Shame um, on you. Yeah, it was It was a European. Um, so, ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, so, yeah, so the, but the person at the door said to them, no, we don't have anything here, unfortunately, but we will have something available at Le Mans. Have a look when you're there. Got a cup of coffee. So no official confirmation for what range of merchandise they'll have, but that indicates to me they will have some sort of merchandise tent. Or indicates if you're completely tragic and turn up at Hertz Team Joe to ask for a cup of coffee, they might... No, they're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, uh, I can tell you there is going to be a pre-Le Mans launch on Monday of next week. I'll be attending that with uh, some of the key team members. And I will ask the question. Uh, I've already told them um, that, you know, when we get to the stage where the insert name of uh, principal model makers here, uh, when they get to the stage of putting models out with that livery, it's going to be an absolute smash hit. I've just been writing something uh, uh, for for, uh, Delhi Sports Car about some iconic liveries of the past. And no doubt, no doubt in my mind, when you look back at the 2018 pink, pink Porsches, you look at what the prices that they're going for on eBay now. Even the T-shirts that sold out in about a day uh, at Le Mans, they're going for such a premium. It's completely ridiculous. So that's going to be in that kind of marketplace. And it's great to see that they have invested in that part of their image. They are not going to miss that trick. No, I've had to If you're looking for gold Lame T-shirts with... You know, it hurts Team Jota on. I'm sure that'll be along any time soon. Yeah. I've already had the conversation with my wallet. I sat it down and I said, look, next year there is going to be a time where you do need to come out with me and buy a Spark model of that car. Yeah. Um, what I Yeah, it's, it's got to be. Yeah, it's, it's going to be so expensive, Stephen. It's, it's, Have you thought about maybe getting a Hertz Team Jota um, Porsche 963 or similar? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that thing, which is that one's 140 euros, and the one next to it, which is not as nice, is 130 euros. You think that's 10 euros? Spend 140 euros. Yeah, got to go whole hog here. Got to go do it. So, final question. Oh blimey! This is this is. We've done it in under three hours, Graham. Look at us. Unless you'd spend the next two hours answering this question. question. David Kalejo says, and I've butchered your name. He says, "What do you think?" Um, of a more standardised schedule for both IMSA and WC. For example, 
all 24-hour races start on Saturdays. Why not start all races on a Saturday at 1pm local time, regardless of the length? Support races on the Sunday to fill the weekend for spectators when not a 24-hour race. It would avoid viewership battles with other racing series, for example F1. It would give fans an expected time to tune in. I appreciate this condenses schedule for teams, but it may offer some cost savings and not diminish the show too much. What do you think of something like this? Um, it's an interesting point, actually. It's, a, it's an interesting point. I think I think thinking out the box is a smart thing to do. It's a conversation I've had multiple times with some very senior people in multiple series that we cover in Europe, here in the UK, in North America. And I'm happy to say that this is something that they do think about really quite a lot of the time. And there's always reasons why they don't take those decisions um they we, we have seen formats played with before and sometimes it's been popular and sometimes it's really not been popular insert four hour uh wc races here yeah. uh, really that that one uh fell on its sword pretty darn quickly um thinking in terms of the packages that we have okay imsa package absolutely top notch top to bottom quality uh support packages you're going to see something different every weekend you go along to one of those. But generally speaking, and I can remember in years gone by, John Hindoff uh, talking about data equity. I like that phrase. I like that principle. You know, that if you're in in certain M of US state, that you know that this caravan of uh, brilliance is going to turn up in September and they're going to come to your local track and you that's the, maybe the one race you go to with your friends or your family. And I do like that. You've got something similar when you come uh, and see something like the European Le Mans series, when you see uh, the GT World Challenge uh, around the world, particularly in the US and particularly in Europe. Where you've not really got it is the FI World Endurance Championship. It is trickier when you're dealing with a global championship, and I think that's something that as we pull forward, that maybe we can start to see a bit more constructive thought coming in some form of junior series that follows maybe the European rounds, maybe that they have one of the flyway rounds, maybe uh, a feeder series that goes to Qatar or to uh, Bahrain and adds a bit more bite to that. We have had some fascinating um, support series, but what we've not had is stability for that. And I think that's something where perhaps more attention needs to be paid. As for, um, when you have those races, I do like the idea of a stable start time. I think that's great. As long as you leave the opportunity to play a bit with format and maybe have a race into darkness, because that's always fun and something that people tend to like. Um, now that the weekends in the Gulf region are stabilised and uh, match what we've got in Europe, that's easier uh, to do that. It does, however, mean that the build-up you've got for a Saturday race will all be on a weekday and that is a reason to think twice about it it's all very well as asking you to kind of uh, give up you know better part of an hour to listen to Aunt Davidson uh, Martin Haven and myself with Lou uh, Lou Beckett talking on FP3 and I hope we can have some news for more uh, coverage from WC races very shortly um, on the on the free front uh, but trying to get people to commit multiple hours on a Thursday and a Friday um, is more difficult and particularly if you've got qualifying on a Friday which if you've got a Saturday race you're probably going to have qualifying on a Friday that is giving up potentially quite a big weekend audience that's a very good reason not to do it but I like the thought process I do like the fact that people try uh, try to think uh, out of the box and I actively encourage all of my friends and colleagues that are in the much misunderstood uh, underrated in terms of its difficulty uh, game of race organisation and promotion to continue to think out the box and if and when they do that ladies and gentlemen listening in be kind because they are trying to do it better no one's kind of taking a punt at something to try to make this worse they've got a reason behind it and they're trying to make this better for the business for the competitors in the paddock for the people that actually fund this and for you the viewing and listening public and reading public um at home so if and when they do try and i think we're going to see some innovations coming forward um then 
it is a bit of hashtag wait and see as to whether or not some of those things pull off. But I do like the idea of standardising a weekend so people know when to tune in. That you know, the, it, it, presuming that people will take the time before a Sunday afternoon to check what time the race is starting in Fuji, if you're in Stuttgart, mm. is somewhat presumptuous. Um, That's the biggest problem because all the races are in different parts of the world, and so even if you do hold every race at midday, it doesn't mean that you're always going to be sitting down at midday where you are to watch the race. I think there's ways and means you can you can do. You know, there are ways in which you can help this with tech. You know, signing up for something like an app should mean more than it currently does. It should mean, for instance, you should get the opportunity to get a reminder um, through that app when a session's about to go live. There's no reason why that shouldn't be the case. The problem is we're all now trained, and with darn good reason in most cases, to put that thing you know on the cookies to say, no, thank you. Uh, but updates, if they're done properly, and it's not just, just chucking stuff at you, can be really useful. Mm. Can be really useful. So something that basically to just click that box to say, would you like a, uh, an advisory um, message when we're 30 minutes or 15 minutes from going live on a session, I think that would be really very useful part of an app. Yep. It's something that it can do in a very dynamic way. Um, just as long as it doesn't come at three o'clock in the morning, we're in Fuji. That would be less uh, less dynamic. Um, the last time that happened to me, by the way, I found out the Queen had died. But um, yeah, but there you go. Uh, that's another story for another day. But yes, like the idea of of thinking uh, at the box, like the idea of standardisation, like the idea of an audience that knows what to expect without having to go and find it. Um, but the Saturday race thing, I think, for the reason I've just explained, is probably something outside of where we do do that for reasons i can't remember at spa because of the bank holiday isn't it because of the bank holiday um so that's uh it's unlikely to be something we see expanding terribly fast terribly quickly that's it for the moment um we're going to be wrapping this one up bundling it off uh, electronically to marshall Pruitt uh for production and uh, putting this on the web. Thanks once again to Daniel Summers Guild for putting together the questions. Thanks to everybody that sent in questions again this week. Next week, I hope we're going to get into what what might be one of a couple of Le Mans preview shows, uh, and we're going to be seeing Marshall, of course, face to face at uh, Le Mans. Can't wait for that. I so bet he can't wait to see me. He can't oh. wait. To, he's told me that. He's told me that. There's all sorts of things he wants to. He's not told me yet, but I'm sure he's thinking about you. it. Yeah. <laughs> ass whooping going to be handed out there um keep in touch with us there's gonna be all sorts of great uh, content written video and audio uh through the celebration of motorsport that's going to be the Le Mans 24 hours in its centenary year can't wait to get there uh thanks to you Stephen, uh for sitting in for mp uh hope he's enjoying watching things going round, round and round and round and round really really rapidly stick in if you're a lover of the indycar code there ain't no better place to be than with Marshall Pruitt and the stuff that he's producing there. Uh, we will be back with you next week. We're going to say thank you again to Cooper Tires, to the Justice Brothers, and to TorontoMotorsports.com. This has been me, Graham Goodwin, him, Stephen Kilby, uh, with the Weekend Sports Cars podcast, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast offering. We will be back with you next week. <laughs>